All right, thank you, Brother Daniel, and good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. Don't mind, I'm going to sit down, uh, not because I'm trying to be cool, because my back hurts me. So if you'll let me do that, I would appreciate it. I'm going to put this little desk up here to help me see how this works. I want you to open your Bible to the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 3. We've been here for a number of weeks. And I want to look there again with you, Joshua chapter 3. And we'll begin reading in verse 1 in a moment. But before that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got a call from uh, my friend Kevin Thomas. Many of you know Kevin. Uh, he's been in our church before, sings at our couples conferences. And uh, I was Kevin's youth pastor in the late 70s, and we became fast friends, uh, and just one of my dear, dear friends has participated in uh, uh, my parents' uh, uh, funerals, and then my sis- he sang at my sister's wedding, and just so many things. We uh, have uh, been in scores, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe over 100 funerals um, and had a couple of last year. So anyway, he called me a couple of weeks ago, and he said uh, a pastor friend had asked him to come and sing at a at a revival, and that the pastor wanted to know if I would come and play the piano uh, for him. And I said, well, yeah, I think I could do that. And he was going to be there for two nights, and uh, could I come for one of the nights? And I said, sure, I would be able to do that. Well, the pastor, whose church it was at, and I think I have a picture for you. I don't know if we were able to get it up there. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Of course, that's Kevin on the left, and the second fellow there is God's man for the hour. And uh, and, uh, the pastor's a fellow on the far right there. His name is Mike Robertson. He pastors up in Tennessee. And... um, when I left Wall Highway Baptist Church in Madison, what a, what a wonderful experience I had there. When I was in college, I came home on the weekends and served there. And then after uh, I graduated, I, I came on full-time at that church and served. And then when I left that church, um, I went to Washington, D.C., and we served there for uh, about four and a half years. And then we left that church March the 17th, I think it was, March the 24th of uh, 1985, and then we came here to this church. And the man in the, in the red shirt, uh, Mike, who was the pastor holding the revival, he took my place. And the other man in the blue shirt, uh, the short, shortest one, he was the evangelist. He, he was a local pastor, resigned his church just recently, and... Uh, when Brother Mike left the church, he took his place. So in that picture, I was the first youth pastor, not the first youth pastor in that church, but in a chain of youth pastors, it was myself, and then Mike in the red shirt took my place, and then Brother Joey in the blue shirt took um, Mike's place. And right before we left, this is after the service, I said, guys, come over here. I want to get a picture of us. And we had that picture made. And I was sitting on the front row after uh, Brother Kevin and I had our part in the service. And 
just watching Brother Mike uh, introduce and kind of emcee things. And then uh, Joey was preaching. And my heart was just overwhelmed with the goodness of God in my life and, and how that God had, had orchestrated and connected things uh, between us in our lives and intersected. And, you know, I, I hardly ever see these guys. I see Kevin more than I see the other men. We usually see each other at funerals. Uh, now, now these days, uh, we're all in our, in our 60s. And God has been, God has been so good. I appreciate our singing that song. God is so good. God is so good. And, you know, when the Lord does a work, He does it in the hearts of individuals, but when He does it in the work of a church, He wants you to be on a team. And sometimes it's in the immediate moment, but sometimes that team is when you pass off a baton to another person. But the work of God is never done in isolation. It always includes other people, not just the people that you minister to, but the people that you minister with. Uh, I've always uh, been careful because I believe it in my heart. Though I've been leading this ministry since 1986, you know, verbiage is important. The Bible says in Matthew twelve thirty six, I think it is, that out of the abundance of the heart, uh, the mouth speaks. You say what you think. And I've always been careful, this is not wrong to say this, but I've always been careful uh, not to say that, uh, like Daniel, uh, well, Daniel works for me. I always say, uh, we work together, Daniel and I work together. And people that have always been here, we we work together. Uh, It's not like a a pyramid. Uh, we, We serve together and we work together. There's a scripture in Psalm 34 in verse 3. Uh, as I was thinking about this idea that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. David wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I want you to notice the, the plurality of the invitation here. You see it? Magnify the Lord with me. See that? With me. And let us, see it? Exalt his name together. Let's worship together. Uh, there's private worship and then there's corporate worship. You you know I've taught you through the years that our corporate worship is only as good as, as your private worship through the week. But we are to worship together. And come come together with me and let us, let us exalt his name together. And we see this in the early church when they gathered together uh, in, the, in the really... The early hours and the infant stage of the church, they really didn't have a lot of organization as such. doesn't mean it was bad. Uh, by the way, the church is, is organized, but it's an organism. That means it has life. You can have organization and not have life. A funeral home is organized. Uh, the, but the church is an organism. Now, healthy organisms are organized. Uh, cancer cells are rogue. And you need to have organization, but organization alone is not sufficient for, for a church. You must have life. There must be life. And so you see in Acts chapter 2, I'll, I'll show you this. I want you to see these, these, these plural pronouns and, and these evidences of unity here. And I'll just read through this and highlight some of these. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they, you see the group there? And they continued 
They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them. So the church was already established. I don't want to uh, pound this too loud, but I think the church was established before Pentecost. Added unto them, it's plural, about 3,000 souls. And they, plural, this is after, after what happened on Pentecost. I think it was the empowering of the people. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. You see that? That means they gathered together corporately. That's important, and, and I, I don't want to preach to the choir because you're here, but uh, your presence is needed. It's not just a legalistic thing to check off your list. Uh, we need you here. I need you here, and you need to be here. It's a matter of, of fellowship. Somebody said that it's more than this, but somebody said that fellowship is two fellows in the same ship, and uh, that's kind of basic, but it has, it has a rough idea of it. They were together and had all things common. See the unity? And they sold their possessions, the plural, and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord, another evidence of unity in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat, their meat, a a, a group with gladness, a fellowship around meals, in singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. You see this? See the unity and, and, and the fellowship, the group aspect? And the Lord added to the church, to the local church there at Jerusalem daily, such as should be saved. And you see here the importance of the church and being involved in the church. My friend, you cannot, you cannot reach your spiritual potential that God has intended for you apart from a local church. You need to be involved uh, in a local church. You, you need to attend faithfully and not just attend, uh, not just to, to be a pew sitter. I heard the expression years ago, maybe you've heard it. Some people, they, they sit and they soak and then they sour. Uh, you need to be involved. And then uh, not only the importance of the church, but the importance of the unity of the church is there. Very clearly in that passage, God, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. So God, God uses local churches. But why doesn't God use each church, local church, equally? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, according to the giftedness of the pastor and, and so forth. And then you have uh, definitions of success. You have to be careful about uh, how you define success according to the Bible. But many times, the reason is not because of a corporate issue. It's because of the individual issue. Because, church, listen, churches are made of people. When you think about a church, it's not the building, it's not the carpet, it's not a sound system. The church is made of people. God loves people. When it says that Jesus loved the church... And gave himself forward. It means he, he died for you. Uh, when I say I love my church, I don't love the buildings. I love you. The last thing I said in our life group before we dismissed today was, I love you, I love you folks. Because I love them. And I love you. I appreciate your being here today many times when uh, 
when I come here to the pulpit, that's one of the first things I say is thank you for being here today. It's a privilege for me to be here. And I'm grateful that, that you chose to be here today. And the church is so important. And God wants you to be a part of a church. So the picture I showed you, I don't want to see it again. You don't need to look at it. But it had the chain of staff members with myself and then Brother Mike and then Brother Joey that was involved in that church. A little country church, but an important church that God blessed and, and began to bear fruit through the years. And each of us was vital and played an important role. We didn't think we were important, but our position, what we did was important. And, and with the, the role that you play in this church, you may not have a title, but when I walk in and, and someone hands me a, a little bulletin, a program of announcements and so forth, uh, you're important. And the way you do that, whether you smile or not, and whether you're looking at your phone or talking to someone else. The way you do your job is important. And the way you conduct your life group and the way you, you talk to guests when they come, this is crucial. And the way that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're all in a movement. We're all like a chain pulling together uh, and trying to accomplish a purpose. And when someone doesn't pull their weight... Uh, the work of God suffers. Uh, I mean, we can look around and see empty chairs today. And, and um, I mean, I'm not keeping a list, but, you know, it's because uh, someone has, has other things to do. And their work is important. And they, they are important. Uh, many years ago, we had a, a banquet here at the church. And uh, we were trying to accomplish some things and get some things done. And I'd asked some people to get some testimonies. I think I had about six people lined up. And one of our men, this is early on, maybe about 1988, 89, something like that. Um, it was over here in the in the gym in the first room, uh, the first two doors on the right. That's where we were meeting then for these, these sorts of events. And uh, he began his testimony and, and his, his heart, he was just broken. And uh, a good friend of mine, and he said, he said, this morning, because the bank was at night, he said, this morning, Brother Rick was preaching, and he said that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And then he, very broken, he said, I don't want to be the weak link. I don't want to be the weak link. And I, w- I was sitting behind my brother, and we had a, we had a guest uh, speaker that night, and he was sitting behind me, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he, he leaned over, and he said, he said Rick, that is, that is so powerful that this man is, is so, so convicted and, and, and so burdened with that. And I said, yes. Well, he was under, under, the, under the power of a truth. A chain is only as, as strong as its weakest link, and... And I don't want to be the weak link uh, in our fellowship. Well, we've been in this uh, little passage for a while, Joshua chapter 3. I don't want to bore you with it. I hope you're not. Um, I've I've done it intentionally, not because we don't have it. In fact, my heart is to want to go to something else, but God won't let me. We just have one or two more times here. But there's a lot to gain here, some principles that the Lord has given to us. And... uh, 
God wants to do a special work in your life. He wants to do a special work in our church. And sometimes we don't think that way. We think, well, it's just it's Sunday. I'll get the family dressed, and that's a hard thing to do. We'll just kind of do what we've always done. But God wants to do something in your life. I think two weeks ago I told you, you don't, don't, don't strive to be great. Don't strive to be important. And I meant that. I mean that. I think your motives can get in the way. But you need to want to do what God wants you to do. And God will stretch you. The will of God will always be uncomfortable. Always. Because He will take you places that you didn't think you could go to. And He will ask you to be something that you didn't think you could be. And here's the good news. He will give you the desire to do that. Someone says, well, I'm afraid... If, if I gave my life to God, he may want me to be a missionary in South America or somewhere. He may want me to do that. Well, the good news is he, he will give you a willingness to do that. The will of God is good. It's perfect, Romans 12, 2 says. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Listen, you can't pray bigger than God. And you can't conceive or think anything bigger than God. Whatever your desires are for your kids, they're not bigger than God and His desires for your family. Whatever your desires for your marriage are not bigger than than what God has. And whatever your desires for for the church are aren't bigger than than God's. But you you need to be careful. It's like I told our class uh, Two weeks ago on Wednesday night, we, we study spiritual leadership, and I was talking to them about praying. And it's interesting to note Paul's prayers in, in the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And there's two prayers in Ephesians. There's one in, in Ephesians and one in Colossians. And boy, they're loaded. And not one time in those prayers um, does Paul... Pray for a physical malady. Uh, you know, we we our, our prayers are loaded down with you know you know my my sister's having this procedure. In fact, I had our class to pray for a particular issue I have. That's not wrong. We pray for our kids to be successful and and, and to have money and to have these things. And none of those are there. Paul prays for the spiritual development of people in every one of those. I memorized uh, the prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and I, I prayed it for, for the leaders in our church. And then I expanded it as I prayed through our congregation because I preached through that, that passage and, and just wrote down, made an outline of it, of that prayer. And I, I prayed it for our, my children, my grandchildren. And it all had to do with their spiritual development. And sometimes when we think about having a great church, what we think about is numerically. Well, that's not, that's not wrong, but that's not the focus. That's a byproduct. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now, that's, that's the power of God. That's the Holy Spirit. And then when that happens, when we listen to God, we surrender ourselves to God, the Bible says, unto him be glory 
in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And this is the end of one of those prayers. You know what glory in the church is? That's when a church has revival. And it's when we let God be God, when we turn our lives and our church and our, our desires over to Him. Now, in Joshua 3, I want you to look there. Here's an illustration of, of this passage of Ephesians 3, of God doing something big for His people. He wants to do something big for you. You know, by definition, a miracle is something that's unusual. And God wants to do something for you that's bigger than yourself. Uh, let's look at it. Joshua chapter 3, look at verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning. And I taught you there. We looked at other passages. This is when he spent time with God. And he meditated upon the Word of God. And they, that is the people, they removed from Shedem. This is where they were camped. And they came to the Jordan River. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. If you'll read later on in verses 15 through 17, the Jordan River was, it was during the time of harvest and it was at flood stage. And I mean, it was slapping waves and making noise. It came to pass, verse 2, after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. And that was representative of God's leadership because God's presence resided in the ark. And the priests, the Levites bearing it, that is the ark. Remove from your place and go after it. Follow God's leadership. That's what he's saying. Yet there shall be a space between you and the ark, about 2,000 cubits by measure. So about 3,000 feet. Come not near unto it, that is the ark. That you may, watch this, that you may know the way by which you must go. If you want leadership, you've got to get up in the morning with the Word of God, go to bed with the Word of God, and follow God's leadership. That's what he's saying. Respect the Lord, and then you'll know the way by which you must go. But, preacher, there, there are some things I don't know. Well, he says, for, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And by the way, the way they were going was impossible. They had to cross the river. At flood stage, and if it wasn't at flood stage, it was going to be impossible with, with those millions of people. But now it was, what, what are you facing today? It's just hard. It's difficult. God wants to take you through that, and he can. And here's the key verse we're going to look at today in verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. Go ahead of the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Now, here's the big idea I want to give you today. This is the theme, and then I'm going to give you some practice to go with it. Here's the idea. God will only do what He can do. When you consecrate your life fully to Him and His purpose, you cannot do what God wants you to do until you consecrate your life to Him and His purpose. You cannot do the will of God. You cannot find your spiritual potential. You, you will not discover God's best for your life until you consecrate your life to Him. Because God wants to do more for you than you ever dreamed, as we sang today. Unto him that is able to do 
more than you can request, more than you could ask or think. And we become so, so limited in our thinking. And sometimes you say, well, I've been, I've been asking for big things. Well, you may have been asking for the wrong things because your brain is not consecrated. Your will is not consecrated. Your soul is not consecrated. And here he says, I want you to consecrate. I want you to sanctify yourselves. And then tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So for 40 years, Israel's been wandering in the desert. And here they come to, to this flood stage river. And God says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Joshua has this word from God, sanctify yourselves. The word sanctify means to set yourself apart from sin and unto God. Another word is the word to consecrate, to dedicate this holy God. Uh, I, I am consecrated unto you. I'm separated unto you fully. I want to do what you want me to do. And then the word wonders there. The Lord will do wonders. It's plural. It has the idea of difficult things, hard things, things that are distinguished from common things. It has the idea of miracles. But what, what, what hard things are in your life? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a financial crunch. Maybe it's just you're at a, at a difficult place in your life. You don't know what to do. Well, here, here's what he says in verse into verse 4. You don't know the way. You haven't passed this way before. So sanctify yourselves. So you have a present responsibility. Today I need to sanctify myself. If I'll do that today, God will work wonders for me tomorrow. So here's a question. What does it mean to sanctify ourselves? Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, to sanctify yourself means to do so because of who God is and with His help. That I sanctify myself. I set myself apart unto God because of who He is. And I can only do that with His help. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7, to sanctify yourselves. Now, God has already sanctified me. When I got saved, God set me apart for himself. When I sanctify myself, I'm just acknowledging that. God, I belong to you. And I take my hands. It's it's almost like taking my hands off the steering wheel of my life. And I'm acknowledging, God, you take the steering wheel. I'm sanctifying myself. I'm setting myself apart unto you. Leviticus 27 says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am. And the Lord your God. God said, I am different, and I want you to be different. And usually when we hear that, sometimes we, we think, well, that means that we're supposed to uh, judge people. You know, we call people holy rollers, and so we don't want to be like that. That's not what that's talking about. It means you, you're, you're to be Christ-like. You are to be distinguished. You're to be different. I love the expression in the Old Testament that it talks about, especially in the Psalms and Chronicles, it talks about the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness. A holy person has a beauty to them. A holy person, a holy woman has a beauty that, that no, no makeup can give her. I'm not against makeup. But it cannot compensate for holiness. Holiness gives a man an inner strength and, a, and, and, and something in his heart and, and on his countenance that, that no workouts can give him. There, there, there's a beauty of holiness. 
so sanctify ourselves because of who God is. I, I'm to do this. I'm to acknowledge this and put disciplines into my life to sanctify myself. Number two, we sanctify ourselves to God for His purpose. God has a purpose for you. What is God's purpose for you? You need to sanctify yourself for His purpose. You know, one of, one of the, someone said this, I like this, when you lose your why, you lose your way. Some of you today, you don't know your why. You don't have a compass. You don't know your North Star. And when you know your why, you have a compass. And God has a North Star for you. I don't just mean the Word of God. I'm talking about that, that is unique for you, that he, he wired you for this, for you to do something. And you're to sanctify yourself to God for His purpose for your life. What is God? Have you ever asked God, God, what do you want me to do? Why have you created me? What, what is my purpose in this life? The night before Jesus was crucified, he, he prayed. It's called the high priestly prayer. This is the true Lord's prayer. I want to show you a scripture here in John chapter 17 and verse 19. I don't know if you ever noticed this. And he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for me and you. Notice what he says. And for their sakes, for his disciples and for you and me. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. This is the Lord Jesus. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, what does he sanctify himself to? The cross. The will of God for his life. And he's doing it for our sakes that we might be sanctified. You know, being a pastor, I was telling Paula the other night, I said, I love what I do. She said, I know you do. But it's not always easy. But but I, I, I have purpose not because I'm a good man but I purposed to sanctify myself to this for the glory of God but also for the sakes of the people whom I serve just like you're a parent and I don't mean you're my children it's a bad analogy in that sense but you understand what I'm trying to say here you you sanctify yourselves for for a higher purpose and it costs the Lord Jesus his life I I I read this, how that Jesus consecrated himself for a purpose that was higher for himself for the sake of other people. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sanctified yourself to God for his purpose? Did you know that before you were born that God had a purpose for you? Before Jeremiah was born, God had a purpose for him, not just my son, we named our firstborn Jeremiah, but the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, here's what God told Jeremiah. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, before your conception, I knew thee. There's a lot there. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, while you were being formed, Jeremiah, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee, that means to set apart. I consecrated you, I sanctified you. And I ordained, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now you need to understand that Jeremiah had a difficult ministry. By all, by all metrics, he was a failure. 
He was rejected, and God told him, you're going to have a difficult ministry. They, they put him down into a pit. His friends forsook him. He thought he was going to die. There were several occasions that he wanted to quit. He said, I'm tired of this rejection. I, I'm just tired of this. And then one time he said in Jeremiah 20, he said, but I could not, I could not stay because the word of God was as a fire in my bones. Another time he said, I, I wish there was a, a little cabin out in the woods. I could just go escape. I, I'm, I'm tired of obedience. That's what he was saying. And God gave him this word because he, he knew he was going to need this. No, I, I've consecrated you. It's hard being a parent sometimes, isn't it? You moms have little kids and, and they're always after you. And then you, in your saner moments, you realize, no, this, this is my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to do. And the will of God, the purpose of God is not always easy. Have you ever dedicated yourself to the ministry the purpose that God has called you. That's important. It, it, it's crucial. Have you ever sanctified yourself unto that? Have you ever consecrated yourself to it? You know, we'll have uh, nursery schedules. And no, I mean, none of this, nobody told me to say this. I'm just thinking of these things. But nursery schedules when people are to work. And sometimes it's just so easy. Well, you know, I forgot and it's it's not an important thing until somebody comes with their child, maybe a guest they've never been here before, maybe they don't know Christ as their Savior, and they have a bad experience because nobody's there, they're not going to come back. But I forgot. Well, I understand you forget, but you're, 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 everybody's important. It's important. And have you, have you consecrated yourself to the will of God, to the purpose of God, to your ministry? You know, you're, you're not getting a lot of applause for it. But in heaven you will. For your consecration, for giving yourself to the purpose that God has called you to. It's interesting here. He says, if you'll sanctify yourself tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. It's a conditional promise. I thought about this when... King Ahaz, and I don't have time to go into all the story, but he took all of the, all of the things in the temple, and they were, uh, and he sold them, and and then they were in Babylon, and and they were defiled by wicked people. They got them back, and I think it was King Hezekiah. They had to dedicate them unto the Lord in Second Chronicles chapter twenty nine and verse nineteen. The Bible says, moreover, all the vessels, all of the things that were required to do the work in, in, in the temple, which King Ahaz and his reign did cast away in his transgression, have we prepared, watch this, and sanctified. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. They were of no use until they had been set apart. And, and I'm, I'm of no use, you're of no use until you're sanctified, until you are dedicated, until you have surrendered your heart to the Lord. You may be saved, but you've never been broken before the Lord and said, God, I, 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 uh, I give you my, my life. This, this is serious. I came across this, and this touched my heart as, as, a, as a teacher and maybe you teach the Word of God here. Look at this verse, Ezra 
a contemporary of Nehemiah, Ezra was a priest. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart. There was preparation. What did he prepare inwardly? To seek the law of the Lord and to do it. So he's seeking God through his law, but not just to know it, not just have a worship experience. All that's important intellectually to worship God, but then to act upon it, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. But he prepared his heart. Ezra was ineffective without preparation. He had, watch, he had set apart his heart. When you teach, what, what kind of preparation do you give? I'm not just talking about academic. I hope you prepare your lesson and your content. But for me, the challenge is, is obeying what I prepared and, and just stopping for a while and saying, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this very good. And have a confession time with the Lord. And that's one of the benefits of spending time in the Word of God. To prepare my heart. And to sanctify myself. And boy, this is a very powerful section here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice in verse 20. But in a great house, and this is a metaphor of the church, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. This is very expensive. This is a fine china you would set out when you had guests you didn't use very often, but also of wood and earth. These are the paper plates, if you will, you know. Uh, these are the things, you know, the, the, the plastic cups. Are you with me? And some to honor and some, watch this, and some to dishonor. Some of these things are more honorable than the others. I remember many years ago, I was uh, visiting a man that I had a burden for up on Brindley Mountain. If you go up South Huntsville and keep going uh, over the bridge and keep going up the mountain there. And I found him. Uh, he lived in a trailer up there. I'd known him from football uh, in high school. He was dying. And uh, I want him to Christ. And then I turned to his wife and I said, ma'am, have, have you ever, because she heard the whole presentation. I said, have you ever, have you ever done what your husband did? She said, I have. I said, when did you do that? She said, just a minute ago when, when he did, I asked the Lord to save me too. And it was a very small trailer and he couldn't get out of bed. It was very simple. And he, he had um, a, a little, little pot there. I'm being very plain because I want you to understand the gravity of this passage because he couldn't go to the bathroom. And he, he had to use the bathroom in that pot. And it didn't smell good in that place. And I was sitting there by, by my brother and giving him the gospel with that, with that pot. Now, I want you to understand something. When he says some to honor and some to dishonor, and that's what he's some some of those some of those earthen vessels. That's what he's saying. Not just paper plates and plastic cups, but you, but on the far end of the spectrum. In those days, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They had all kinds of all kinds of vessels in a home, gold and silver that didn't burn. 
but the wood, it would burn, the earth would scorch. He said, I want you to be a vessel unto honor. He's challenging them. If, notice the condition here, notice in verse 21, if, if, if a man or a woman purge himself from these, from what? A vessel of dishonor. Now, what are, what are you engaging with? Some of you maybe are not on the end of the spectrum, but you say, well, I'm just an old peanut butter jar. God can't use me. Well, so, so am I. But I want to be a vessel of honor. I want God to use my life. I, I don't care if people know my name. In fact, I kind of run from it, not because I'm a good Christian, because of my temperament. I don't know how to handle stuff like that. But I do want God to use me because I love him. If a man will purge himself from these, the word purge there means to cleanse thoroughly. Now, stay with me. It means to cleanse thoroughly, not just on the outside, but on the inside. I remember my my great-grandfather was visiting with us, and he had a spittoon. How many of you know what a spittoon is? All right, most of the old folks. He loved that old tobacco, and it was a really nice one. And It was my grandmother's father. And he get his chaw and, you know, spit in that thing. And uh, uh, my grandmother's, her name was Mildred. Well, he called her Maldred. And Maldred. And the thing is, he was from Ohio. He didn't have a southern accent. He said, Maldred, I need somebody to clean out my spittoon. And uh, so she kind of looked at me and Hoss. I said, oh, no, don't look at us. And we took that old platoon out in the backyard, and we got a water hose, and we put a, you know, a, 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 one of those little, what do they, they call them? Somebody help me. Yeah, those, those big words throw me. And uh, put that on it. And, and we got about 25 feet away, and me and Hoss laughed. We still laugh about it. And we still, all kind of manner of good and evil came out of that thing. I'm telling you. And we cleaned it thoroughly, inwardly and outwardly. If a man, therefore, will purge himself from these vessels of dishonor, if you will, he shall be a vessel unto honor. What's the next word? Sanctified, consecrated. Now, notice it says, a man does this. Now, Christ's blood sanctifies you. He sanctified you at salvation, but there's some stuff you're supposed to do. There's some things you're supposed to put away. If you will sanctify yourselves, he said, you will be meat for the master's use. You know what that means? It means easily used. And here's why. Here's why you're easily used, because you're not doing the work. God is. God is doing the work. No matter how gifted you are, if you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's it's going uphill. He shall be sanctified meat for his master's use and prepared unto every good work. The word prepared means ready. You're ready. You're ready for God to use your life. Heard about a man that uh, came forward frequently during church services and, and he would kneel and he would pray and he was so fervent in his prayers that the pastor wondered, why does he come forward every service and he prays? And so the pastor came over and he knelt by him to see if he could hear his prayer. And the old boy was down there praying. He said, oh, God, use me. He was so fervent. Oh, God, use me. Oh, God, use me. Please use me. 
And the pastor scooted over beside him, put his arm around him. He said, good friend, he said, you're praying the wrong prayer. You're praying the wrong prayer. And the man looked at him with tear-stained eyes. He said, what prayer am I supposed to pray? He said, you pray, God, use me, make me usable. Don't pray, God, use me. Pray, make me usable. And when you pray, God will make you usable, God will do things in your life that you never imagined that he would. And I think that's right. I think there's some of you that you, you say, well, God, I want God to use me, but you don't want to be usable. So we sanctify ourselves because of who God is. He's holy, and we do that with his help. We can't do it on our own. We sanctify ourselves to God for his purpose and his assignment that he has. And Joshua 3 says, sanctify yourselves, and tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then number three, we sanctify ourselves through cleansing our hearts of sin. When I got saved, God sanctified me. He set me apart. He gave me the sanctifier of the Holy Spirit. And He began to do a work of cleansing in my life. But then God asked me to to sanctify myself. There's a positional sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. God has set me apart. He has given me the tools. He's made it possible, but He asked me to cooperate with Him. There's a a really uh, unique passage uh, in Second Corinthians chapter six, it's it's on the the topic of separation, and uh, he tells them why they ought to be separated, and then he gets into it. I just want to highlight a few things here. Notice in verse seventeen, Second Corinthians six seventeen, wherefore, and if you go, the, he tells the wherefore before that is God has a special promise for those that are separated from sin. Wherefore, come out from among them. Come out from among them. The word come out means to, to depart from. Now, who is the them? These, these are the people that you ought not be with that are, that are hurting your consecration. Now, you need to be friendly with everybody. But if someone is hurting your dedication to God, you don't need to spend time with them. Uh, you, you girls and you guys, you, you, you should not marry someone that is an unbeliever, and you shouldn't marry a, a Christian that is not dedicated to God or a professing Christian. My goal was to find someone uh, that was a better Christian than I was. And I'll tell you this, what's even better than that is you want to find somebody that's growing, because sometimes people are stale. Wherefore, come out from among them. You show me your friends, and I'll tell you your future in five years. Come out from among them and be separate. And what does that mean? The word separate means to, to be separated by boundary. But here's, here's the idea. It means that I'm marked as exclusion to another person. And be separate. I don't belong to myself. You know, there, there's a doctrine of separation today that's all negative. Well, I, I'm separated because I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't run and chew and run with those who do. That, that's, not, that's not what it's talking about. Here's what it means. Separation is positive. Someone said this one time, I like this, you, you will never say no to the things you ought to say no to until you have a bigger yes burning inside. And the yes inside of you 
is a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples. Romans 1, I think it's in verse 1. Paul said, I'm separated unto the gospel of God. That's positive. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, he said, we turn to God from idols. So his emphasis on separation was on who, who they were turned to and everything else that, that was mentioned. In fact, many times the things that you shouldn't do fall off when you focus on God. But you can focus on all the negatives and they won't fall off if you're not in love with God. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean or the impure thing, and I will receive you. Now, he's talking to Christians here. What does that mean? He means, I will welcome you with favor. Now, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And when you read verse 15 and 14 in the passage before this, he says, I will be a father to you. You know, there's sometimes that that we're not in full fellowship with our father because we've disappointed him. We've disobeyed him. This is what he's talking about. I, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. They were already believers. But he said, you'll enjoy the privileges now because you, you, are, you are, are mine and mine alone. I thought about the hymn, uh, I am his and he is mine. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, that this, this relationship you can have with God, let us cleanse ourselves. This is something you do. God can only cleanse your heart of sin. But there's some things that you're supposed to separate yourself. You need to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's the outside and the inside. Not just fleshly sins, but sins of the spirit. Bad attitudes. Not just where you go and cursing, but negative spirits. Rebellion. And then he says, perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God. The word perfecting is in the, in the present tense. It has the idea of a process of growth toward maturity. Perfecting holiness. And we're all, we're all works in, in progress. Uh, turn to Joshua chapter 7. I want to show you something here in closing here. Joshua chapter 7. Uh, Israel had conquered uh, Jericho. They defeated Jericho. That was after um, Joshua had was one of the wonders. They they crossed Jordan. God parted the Jordan for them. We'll deal with that later. But they went into Jordan. That was another miracle. I'm sorry, Jericho. But uh, what happened is in preparation for that, after they they defeated them, they were ready spiritually. They went to Ai in Joshua seven. Well, there's something that Joshua didn't do. They, they, they were defeated. They lost 36,000 men. You know what Joshua didn't do? He didn't get up early in the morning. Now, it wasn't the discipline. It was what he did during that. He didn't seek God. He, he got presumptuous. Well, God was with us before us. He's with us again. And notice in Joshua chapter 7, look at verse 12. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. That is, the people were accursed. Neither God was talking to Joshua here, will I be with you anymore? That's a pretty harsh word. 
These were his people, except you destroy the cursed from among you. Now he was on his face in prayer, if you read the earlier passages. Joshua, up, get up. Look at this, sanctify the people. You need to get sanctified, consecrated again. It's not something you do one time, folks. And say, and tell them, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Are you seeing this theme? You don't just do it once. And thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until, until you take away the accursed thing from among you. They had to sanctify themselves. And that's in verse 13. Look at verse 16 of the same chapter. So Joshua rose up early in the morning. You know what happened? They defeated the enemy. He got it right this time. He followed God's directive in 3.5. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. When you sanctify yourself, you consecrate yourself. There's a verse in your bulletin there we gave you in Psalm 86 and verse 10 about our Lord. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. My friend, God wants to do some special things in your life. And the devil will come to you and he will lie and say, God can't use you because of your background, because of your education or lack thereof, because of your personality or lack thereof. God can't use you. But it's not about you. It's, there's, there's one God and only He alone can do wondrous things, significant things, but you're not seeking significance, you're seeking Him. And sanctify yourself. Have you ever consecrated your future, your gifts, your questions to God? Let me ask you this. Have you ever consecrated your trial to God? Your illness to God? Have you ever said, God, I give this to you. This, this belongs to you. Help me honor you as I go through this. Have you consecrated... Your ministry, the ministry that God has called you to go through and, and, and to as, as a stewardship. God, I, I give this ministry to you. You know, if, if churches had to, had to survive on the faithfulness, or business had to survive on, on the faithfulness of, of churches, they, they'd go bankrupt. It, it's the grace of God, the work of God. We must sanctify ourselves. Have you consecrated your possessions, your money? Your giving is a barometer of the devotion of your heart to God. When I give my tithe to God, I'm acknowledging that He owns 100%. God, You own everything. You own my house. You own, you own my family. You own everything. And, I, and, and my giving to You acknowledges that You are... The Lord of my life. I asked you this earlier. Are you consecrated to the will of God? Have you ever asked God, what do you want me to do in my life? And then when he shows you, are you consecrated to that? I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. And then here's the big question. Are you consecrated to Jesus? Are you consecrated to him? Because that's the issue. Most of the time, we, we know what he wants us to do. But I don't want to do that. 
We're not, we're not dedicated to Him. We're not surrendered to Him. Unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God wants to do something in you and through you more than you can imagine. The missionary Jim Elliott said this. He said, God always gives His best to those who leave the choice to Him. Many years ago, maybe, I don't know, 25 years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Paula was with me and Adrian Rogers was preaching. And he, he stood up with pastors and he said, uh, I want to preach tonight on why I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, anything Adrian preaches is good. But I'll be honest, when he said it, I thought, well, Adrian, we all believe in Jesus. We believe in his deity. We believe in everything about Jesus it's, it's a different title to preach to pastors why I believe in Jesus. Because I know you, I'm going to give you a chance. It sounds funny, doesn't it, me giving Adrian a chance. you know? But you know, I'm going to listen. And oh, it was such a beautiful, powerful sermon. And he closed out with this story I've given to you before, but it, it fits in well here, and I haven't given it in a long time. And Adrian told this story. He said there was a... An Indian prince, he was a boy prince. He wasn't young, maybe uh, 10 years old. And he came to England to visit the Queen of England, representing uh, the state of India. And he came in there and he visited her and he presented her with a gift. It was an incredibly large diamond. In fact, it was priceless. It was not just beautiful, it was a priceless diamond. And he gave her that diamond, and she held it up to the light, and was in awe that that the state of of India would present this to their country, and that this boy, who was a prince, uh, presented that to her. And then he went back to his country and back to business. And decades passed, and he came back to the country and back to England. This time he was in leadership and representing again the state of India and requested a visit with the queen. And, of course, he was granted that. And they made some small talk. And then he said, do you remember when I visited before, uh, I presented you a diamond from our country? And she said, oh, I, I indeed remember that. It's one of the most beautiful diamonds I've ever seen. He said, would you mind if I could see that again? And she thought, Oh, they're going to want that back. He came, he came here to get that diamond to take it back home to India. And she said, of course. And she called one of the assistants there, and they went back in the archives where they kept it, and they brought it back. And they placed it in her hands, and she held it, and then she gave it to him. And he held it up, and he began to examine that diamond, and he hadn't seen it in all those decades, and it was more beautiful than he could remember as a boy. And then he held it in his hands, and he looked at the queen. And he said, ma'am, when I was a boy, I presented this diamond to you. But today I want to present this diamond to you again as a man realizing its value. And Adrian said, he said, you know, many of us in this room, when we were children and we were younger, we presented our lives to Jesus. And he said, but as we get older, we need to present our lives to him again. 
And it just so spoke to my heart that I gave my life to Jesus when I was a nine-year-old boy. And when I was 17 years old, I gave everything I had to Jesus. But there have been other times when I had to give it to Him again. And now here I was in my 40s. And my, 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 I was so broken before the Lord. And as they gave that invitation, I, I do what I ask you to do. I took my wife's hand and we went forward and knelt down. And I just cried out to God. And I said, God, as an older man, I, I come before you. And I consecrate my, my life to your purposes and to your will. And to the Lord Jesus for all that he is and all that he's done for me. And I just give myself to you afresh. And anew. And I wonder if there's, if there's someone here tonight, a teenager, someone this morning, a teenager, a college student, a man, a woman, that would say, all that he's done for me, I need to consecrate my life fully to him and his purpose. You say, Pastor, I've already done that. Well, I'm glad you have. Maybe you never have. Or maybe you need to do that again. Because the Bible says, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. I you to bow your heads with me, would you? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Uh, Brother Ken has some music back there for us. I'm going to have him play that. And while we're just in an attitude of prayer, I wonder if there would be a teenager, a young man, a young woman or an adult that would be here. And as God is speaking to your heart, you say, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I've been born again. But today I want to consecrate my life fully to the Lord. I want to give everything I have to Jesus. Here's what I want to ask you to do. You don't have to do this, but I want to ask you to do this. Would you slip up out of your seat? And either come just kneel in this altar and just tell him, say, God, I consecrate myself to you. And if you can't kneel, just sit on one of these seats on the front row. While the music plays, would you do that? Just come up and and kneel before him. Say, God, I consecrate myself. I give everything I have to you from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. Everything on the outside, everything on the inside. I want everything I have to belong to you.